Good evening. Our reading this evening is from Genesis chapter 20, which can be found on page 20 of the Church Bibles in front of you. That's Genesis chapter 20. Now Abraham moved on from there into the region of the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur. For a while he stayed in Gerar, and there Abraham said of his wife Sarah, She is my sister. Then Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent for Sarah and took her. But God came to Abimelech in a dream one night and said to him, You are as good as dead because of the woman you have taken. She is a married woman. Now Abimelech had not gone near her, so he said, Lord, will you destroy an innocent nation? Did he not say to me, she is my sister? And didn't she also say, he is my brother? I have done this with a clear conscience and clean hands. Then God said to him in the dream, Yes, I know you did this with a clear conscience, and so I have kept you from sinning against me. That is why I did not let you touch her. Now return the man's wife, for he is a prophet, and he will pray for you, and you will live. But if you do not return her, you may be sure that you and all who belong to you will die. Early the next morning, Abimelech summoned all his officials, and when he told them all that had happened, they were very much afraid. Then Abimelech called Abraham in and said, What have you done to us? How have I wronged you that you have brought such great guilt upon me and my kingdom? You have done things to me that should never be done. And Abimelech asked Abraham, What was your reason for doing this? Abraham replied, I said to myself, there is surely no fear of God in this place, and they will kill me because of my wife. Besides, she really is my sister, the daughter of my father, though not of my mother, and she became my wife. And when God caused me to wander from my father's household, I said to her, This is how you can show your love to me. Everywhere we go, say of me, he is my brother. Then Abimelech brought sheep and cattle and male and female slaves and gave them to Abraham, and he returned Sarah, his wife, to him. And Abimelech said, My land is before you. Live wherever you like. To Sarah he said, I am giving your brother a thousand shekels of silver. This is to cover the offense against you before all who are with you. You are completely vindicated. Then Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech, his wife, and his female slaves, so that they could have children again. For the Lord had kept all the women in Abimelech's household from conceiving because of Abraham's wife, Sarah. As some of you know, uh, for the last few months, I have been clearing and sorting my mother's old house in Cardiff. This has meant that I've had the pleasure, if that's the right word, 
I've had the pleasure of going through many, many old and rather embarrassing photos. But one of the spin-offs of this task has been that it's brought back fond memories of my grandfather, my father's father. He was the only grandparent I got to know because he lived in our home in the last few years of his life. And one of the things I remember about my grandfather was that he loved to watch old black and white movies. Even if he had seen a film before, he would watch it again. My mother asked him once, why are you watching this film again? You only saw it yesterday. Oh, said my granddad, I'm just checking that they haven't changed the ending. (laughs) And you think I'm weird. As we look at Genesis chapter 20, you may be feeling that, well, you've seen this film before. Over the last few months at our evening services, we've been looking at the life of Abraham. And if you've been here, then this passage may seem familiar, as it sounds like what happened at the end of Genesis chapter 12. In that passage, Abraham and Sarah devised a plan to avoid problems with the Pharaoh in Egypt. In Genesis 12, verse 13, Abraham tells Sarah to lie and to tell Pharaoh that she was his sister. Now, eight chapters later, the names and places are different, but the results are nearly the same. In fact, because the outcome is so similar, some Bible scholars even suggest that this was just one event but recorded twice. But the more we look at the details of this passage, the more it becomes clear that these are two different events. More importantly, this passage has a different message from the events in Egypt. This is a fresh fresh message, and I believe it's a message that is relevant to us Today, So let's look at this passage more closely. And firstly, we see the relocation. We see the relocation of Abraham. Verse 1 says, Now Abraham moved on from there into the region of the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur. For a while he stayed in Gerar. These opening words of verse 1 that Abraham moved on from there, this phrase suggests that Genesis chapter 20 follows on from Genesis chapter 19. Actually, the storyline starts at the beginning of Genesis 18. So these three chapters join together as one long narrative. And the main storyline of this text is about Lot, Abraham's nephew. If you were here last week, in Genesis 19, we looked at the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah and Lot's final downfall. This completed Lot's sad decline away from God. 
It's a remarkable downward progression. It starts in Genesis chapter 13, verse 10, when Abraham gave Lot the choice of where to live. And it says that Lot looked at Sodom. Then in Genesis 13, verse 12, it says that Lot pitched his tent near Sodom. And in Genesis 14, verse 12, Lot is now living in Sodom. It carries on. In Genesis 19, verse 1 and 2, the two angels find Lot sitting at the city gates of Sodom. And this indicates that Lot was now a prominent leader and a homeowner in Sodom. Then in Genesis 19:16, Lot is reluctantly dragged out of Sodom, kicking and screaming. It's clear that uh, Lot does not want to leave Sodom. So much so that in Genesis 19:20, Lot pleads to stay near Sodom. Even though Lot is told and he knows that Sodom is about to be destroyed, he still wants to stay close to the sinful influences in that community. Significantly, the last we read about Lot is in Genesis 19.35. Here, Lot is dead to the world, living in a cave, a place which may have doubled as a grave. Lot has been enticed and sucked down into the sinful life of Sodom. Lot has greedily chosen the best land, but then it led to his, well, it led to his death. Clearly, Lot was a friend of the world, and when someone identifies themselves with the world, then they can expect to suffer what the world suffers. As I said, Genesis 20 verse 1 starts with Abraham moving on. But this moving on by Abraham doesn't sound all that significant until we place these events on a map. Genesis 18.1 tells us that Abraham was living near the great trees of Mamre. Mamre was a town near Hebron and was located in the hills overlooking the west bank of the Dead Sea. Archaeologists are still not sure of the location of Sodom, where Lot was living. But scientists have noted that there are large deposits of brimstone balls and sulfur in the ground on the southeast banks of the Dead Sea. And they suggest that Sodom was somewhere in that area. My point is this. With Abraham high up on the hills on the west bank of the Dead Sea, and Sodom somewhere on the lowlands on the southeast of the Dead Sea, there is a good chance that Abraham either saw or heard or possibly even smelt the falling, burning sulfur that we read about in Genesis 19.24. Abraham must have known what was happening, because in the second half of Genesis 18, 
God told Abraham that he would destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. So Abraham must have put two and two together and realized that God's judgment was literally falling from heaven. With this in mind, it makes sense that Abraham would want to move on. He would want to get away from the sight and the sound and the smell of sin and its judgment. As Christians today, I believe we need to be proactive and ensure that we remain separate from the sights and the sounds and even the smell of sin. And yes, this may mean that we will need to be physically relocated to a more wholesome and more God-honoring environment. In the New Testament, Matthew 5, 8, Jesus taught, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Jesus was not just talking about physical purity or even ethical purity but talking about spiritual purity as well. If we, as God's people, we want to see today God at work in our lives, then we must seek spiritual purity. 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. The relocation of Abraham. And the passage continues with the restriction. The restriction on Abimelech. Verse 6 says, Then God said to Abimelech in the dream, Yes, I know you did this with a clear conscience. And so I have kept you from sinning against me. That is why I did not let you touch Sarah. Just so we're clear... Abraham has now moved on from Mamre, and he is now in Gerar, which was the capital city of the Philistines. It was a rich, and it was a a well-watered land, but it was hostile territory. The name Abimelech was probably not a personal name, but the royal title for the king of the Philistines. Abimelech was the equivalent title of, say, Pharaoh in Egypt and Caesar in Rome. As I said earlier, many Bible scholars highlight the similarities between this event and Abraham's earlier visit to Egypt. And often this raises the question, why? Why did Abraham repeat the same mistake that he made in Egypt? But perhaps a better question is, did Abraham make the same mistake as he made in Egypt? I think it's important that we check exactly what the Bible says. Or more importantly, we need to note what the Bible does not say, but we may have assumed that it was there because of what happened in Egypt. Allow me to highlight three things. Firstly, Sarah is not described as beautiful. In Genesis 12:15, one of the key reasons why Sarah was taken into Pharaoh's harem 
was because she was very beautiful. But this factor does not appear with Abimelech. And because Sarah's beauty is not mentioned, we have to consider whether there was another reason why Abimelech would take Sarah as his wife. Secondly, Abraham it was the one who told the lie, not Sarah. In Genesis 12:13, Abraham tells Sarah to say, "You are my sister." Here in Gerar, Abraham is the one who says, "She is my sister." And because Sarah again is not mentioned, we have to consider if Abraham had another reason for speaking this lie. For example, was it possible that Abraham was trying to cover up what was happening between Abimelech and Sarah? We can't be sure. But possibly the most significant issue is that Abraham was asked to stay in Gerar. In Genesis 12:20, Pharaoh kicked Abraham and his family out of Egypt. But here, in Genesis 20:15, Abimelech invited Abraham to stay and to even choose where he wanted to live. So, because Abraham and his family were not evicted from Gerar, we have to consider if there were other reasons for what happened. Yes, I agree. This is a little confusing, but there is a possible alternative. But we have to go back a little. In Genesis 14, four powerful kings from the north and east brought their armies together and attacked Sodom and took Lot and his family uh, as prisoners of war. We then read that Abraham chased after the kings, rescued Lot and his family, and routed the four armies. It's pretty certain that as the king of the Philistines... Abimelech would have heard about this incident. And just like Abraham, Abimelech would have been watching to see if those four kings were going to get back together again and mount a revenge attack. And to secure his military position, it is possible that Abimelech wanted an alliance with Abraham. In other words, If Abraham and Abimelech joined forces, they could protect each other. If this was the case, and Abimelech was wanting an alliance, then Abimelech would have taken Sarah as his wife to clinch the deal. This would explain why Abraham was given the choice to stay in Gerar. It explains why Sarah's beauty is not a factor, and why Sarah doesn't speak. Culturally, Sarah was a necessary token uh, included as part of an agreement. And, And yes, I fully accept that in today's society, that's a horrifying thought. But that was the culture at the time. Now, I accept that this explanation is somewhat circumstantial. And it is always dangerous to read into the Bible words that are, and meanings that are not there in black and white. But at the same time, this scenario reveals sin. Sin that may have slipped unnoticed into Abraham and Sarah's life. 
They may have moved physically away from the sin of Sodom, but sin has slipped in and has affected their lives. We have Sarah, Sarah's sin of omission. Whatever the circumstances, Sarah's silence is noticeable. In verse 2, when Abimelech sent for and took Sarah as his wife, Sarah should have kicked up a fuss and should have declared that she was married. Nothing. In Abram's case, Abram's was a sin of commission. Whatever the reason, Abraham spoke a half-truth about Sarah, which in reality was was a lie. Abraham spoke to deceive. Despite what our society today seems to be saying, half-truths and being economical with the truth, this is sin. By contrast, Abimelech is guiltless in this matter. His actions were based on Abraham's untrue statement. And God acknowledged Abimelech's innocent, innocence and made it clear that without God's intervention, he would have committed a grave sin. And Abimelech listened to God's warning. As Christians today, I believe we need to be proactive and we need to ensure that we remain separate from the intrigue and the convenience of sin. God hates sin. All sin. If we, as God's people today, want to see God at work in our lives, then we need to stay in the light of God's truth and in the light of God's promises. 1 John 1.5 says, This is the message we have heard from Jesus and declare to you, God is light in him There is no darkness at all. We need to stay in the light. The relocation of Abraham, the restriction on Abimelech, and lastly, the restoration. The restoration for all. Even though Abimelech was the innocent party, Abraham was the one who prayed for the resolution to this situation. Actually, it was more significant that Abimelech was required to seek the prayers of Abraham on his behalf. Verse 17, then Abraham prayed to God and God healed Abimelech, his wife and his female slaves, so they could have children again. If Abimelech had not sought the prayers of Abraham, the prophet of God, then his guilt and punishment would have remained, even though Abimelech's sin was unintentional. And if you think about it, this must have been a humbling experience for Abraham. Abraham must have felt totally unworthy when he led that prayer meeting. After all, he had not been an innocent party in what happened. And yet... It was when Abraham prayed that God answered. 
Sadly, the Bible does not include what Abraham prayed. But it might have included something like this. Lord God, we have sinned against you. We have done evil in your sight. We are sorry and repent. Have mercy on us according to your love. Wash away our wrongdoing and cleanse us from our sin. Renew a right spirit within us and restore us to the joy of your salvation. If those words sound familiar, it is what we prayed earlier. In 2001, in the middle of the Israel-Arab conflict, a motorcade was carrying the security chief for Gaza, and it came under bullet fire from Israeli troops. The frightened security official called Yasser Arafat, who then called the U.S. ambassador, who then called the U.S. Secretary of State, Colin Powell. Colin Powell called Ariel Sharon, the Israeli prime minister, who ordered the shooting to stop. And the bullet fire stopped. The security chief's connections had saved his life. Today, when we pray, we have a direct connection to the ultimate power and authority of the universe. He is the one who can make a world of a difference in every situation. And it can take away the sight and sound and, and stench of sin in our lives. This may seem a little obvious, but as Christians today... We need to pray just as much as we need oxygen to breathe. No, we're not worthy to pray. And yet the Bible directs us to pray. Philippians 4, 5. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. We pray to ask for. And we pray to receive forgiveness from our sins. What a privilege. What a challenge. The relocation of Abraham, the restriction on Abimelech, the restoration for all. I close with this. Recently, I I read a quote from a gentleman called Gus Speth. If you've seen this before, it's worth seeing again. Gus Speth is, the, uh, is an American environmental lawyer and advocate. He's worked high up in the United Nations on worldwide environmental issues. This is what he said. I used to think the top environmental problems were biodiversity loss, ecosystem collapse, and climate change. I thought that with 30 years of good science, we could address those problems. But I was wrong. The top environmental problems are selfishness, greed, and apathy. And to deal with those, we need a spiritual and a cultural transformation. And we scientists don't know how to do that. 
We live in a world of selfishness and greed and apathy. And if we're honest, there are times when we can be selfish and greedy and lazy. The Bible uses one word to describe these actions, sin. And the Bible says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. No one is exempt. Everyone has failed to meet God's perfect standard. And because we have sinned, we cannot come into the presence of a holy and a sinless God. But here's the wonderful truth. Romans 5.8 God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Even before we realized that we needed a savior, God sent his only son, Jesus Christ, into the world to die on the cross to pay the price for all our wrongdoings. Scientists admit that they do not have the answer. And shady political agreements and half-truths are clearly not the answer either. Jesus is the answer. He is seeking to work in our lives and seeking to work through our lives. He is calling us to separate ourselves from sin and to reconnect afresh with him in prayer. How will you respond? Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord, for revealing yourself through your word this evening. We acknowledge that this passage is challenging, and we ask for your insight and understanding as we reflect further on this text. Forgive us, Lord, for when we have been flippant or blasé about any sin in our life. We ask that you will gently highlight areas in our life that displease you so that they can be changed and so that we can grow in holiness and in love for you. Fill us afresh, Lord, with your Holy Spirit so that we can share your love and goodness with others. May our relationship with you be so deep and profound that those that we meet will know for certain that we are your ambassadors and your representatives. And we will give you all the glory forever and ever. Amen.